Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. in the powerful Isuzu D-Max. Visit your local Isuzu Ute dealer today. Mornings with Mark Duffield. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Toolkit Depot studio out here at Optus Stadium. Don't forget to shop winter at TKD. And, of course, we're closing in on the end of winter, just a few days to go. And it feels and looks like it outside. The sun is shining between the stadium and the Camfield Hotel. Well, the AFL's top eight is decided. It took all the way to the last game of the home and away season to do it. But GWS clinched their spot with their brilliant win over Carlton at Marvel Stadium yesterday, and they gave St Kilda fans a few heart palpitations in doing it as well. Nearly climbed above them on the ladder. But a win like that when you are playing for finals means you deserve to get there, and a loss to the bottom team in the second-to-last home-and-away game, like the Bulldogs had against West Coast in Round 23, means you don't deserve to get there. And speaking of deserving, what did you make of Jacob Wietering and the contact to the face of Toby Green? Does he deserve to get weeks for that? Is it just a fine or is there not much to it? I have to say I'd be uncomfortable if Jacob Wietering got suspended for that. It looked to me like his hands found their way to the eye region of Toby Green. But once he realised where they were, he got them out of there pretty quickly. To me, I think Jacob Wiedering plays in Carlton's first final since 2013. On the teams that made it, thanks to Isuzu Utes, and you can live your own way in the seven-seater Isuzu MUX, here are four thoughts to four-wheel drive you to work today. One, is Adam Kingsley's coaching performance the best of this year. I know that Ross Lyon has lifted St Kilda from 10th to 6th, but he's also only won two games more than Brett Ratton won last year when he got sacked because the Saints board believed their list was better. Craig McRae's Magpies are top of the ladder, but they're also only one kick out of a grand final last year. Ken Hinckley's Port have jumped from 11th to 3rd, but they're also 3rd in 2021. So have they improved or have they just been restored? Kingsley's Giants have jumped from 16th to 7th and from 6 wins to 13. For the first time in the club's history, we see the Giants playing a clear brand with a clear method. And their final against the Saints in two weeks' time should be one of the best games of week one. Point two, Charlie Curnow is a much-deserved winner of the Coleman medal. It's a fair effort by Taylor Walker to boot nine against West Coast to take the lead in the medal. But if you wanted to pick the bloke who deserves the slot as the number one power forward in the All-Australian team this year, it is Curnow. He's a truly majestic player. I love the way he celebrated it with the crowds. Really looking forward to seeing how he plays in finals on the game's biggest stage because he looks like he is made for it. Point three, 
every one of the top four had wins in round 23. And fifth-ranked Carlton had a winning streak of nine broken in the final game. Sixth place and Kilda fought bravely against Brisbane on one of footy's toughest road trips before they went down. And Sydney had their moments against Melbourne before the Ds broke them late. And, of course, the Giants won. The form lines heading into this final series are strong and it gives us even greater belief that the right teams got there this year. Point four, this is Chris Fagan's best chance at a flag with Brisbane. They have the chance to play two home finals before heading to the grand final. But if you want a tip on who wins, I'm going to go with Melbourne. I know they finished fourth, and there are a couple of games adrift of the Magpies, but they battled against a fair bit this season. They trudged through the tough patches without losing too much ground on the top end of the ladder, and they won when it mattered. And they found another gear against Sydney when it mattered on the weekend. If I have a concern about them, it is their attack, but with Christian Petrarca able to push forward and impact the game, and hopefully... Bailey Fritch surviving an injury scare and playing well again yesterday. They might just have enough to kick winning scores in the tough footy that finals bring. What about our two WA teams? Of course, West Coast farewell, Nick Natanui, Luke Shuey and Shannon Hearn on Saturday night. The Eagles fought well for two and a half quarters before the score blew out against Adelaide. Fremantle were probably wondering what might have been after a 37-point win against Hawthorne at the MCG. The Dockers finally found a better groove late in the season, but their slow start and then their slump just after the bye left them too far back to challenge for finals. Thanks to Isuzu, and you can live your own way in the Isuzu D-Max. Here are four points to four-wheel drive you to work today on the Eagles and Dockers and their seasons. One... If Tim Kelly doesn't win West Coast Best and Fairest this year, it will be a bigger upset than David toppling Goliath. Kelly was outstanding again against Adelaide on Saturday night. 35 disposals, over 800 metres gained for the team and a real threat to Adelaide's want to finish their season on a high. Just as he was the player that ignited the Eagles in round 23 against the Bulldogs, He has continued to play at a very high level for much of the season when players around him at West Coast have struggled. If you want a trifecta on the Eagles' best and fairest, I'm thinking it will be quite a surprise if Callie, Liam Duggan and Oscar Allen don't fill the top three spots. It'll also be a surprise if one of Duggan or Allen isn't the captain come round one next season. Point two. With apologies to Martin of Jared Dale and Lisa of Allenbrook, who told us last week they're sick of hearing about Adam Simpson's fight to keep his job, it remains the main item of business for the Eagles board over the next week. Adam Simpson's win over the Western Bulldogs in round 23 has certainly sparked support for him among the fans and among the players. What does it mean? How will it influence the board, if at all? I think Simpson remains a chance to get through. And what does that mean for CEO Trevor Nisbet? I don't see the Eagles frog marching Trevor Nisbet to the door after 35 years of good service to the club. But if Simpson does survive, does Nisbet get to see out of his contract after the disastrous two years the Eagles have had? You would think the board will want to hold someone accountable in some way at West Coast. Point three, turning to the Dockers, they are surely preparing themselves for a trade negotiation with Liam Henry. We suspect Henry will tell the club he wants to move to a Melbourne-based club. 
Every out-of-contract player has the right to shift, but I can't help thinking this is a shame for both Henry and the Dockers. He had been an underachiever for the first three seasons of his career, then he worked really hard to push into the Dockers' best team, and he played solid footy through the back half of the season. His 15 disposal effort against Hawthorne at the weekend was his quietest performance in three months, and he's starting to play like a young man who believes he belongs at the level. If he can just tidy up some decision-making, he is going to be a 150-game player. Leaves the question for Fremantle and for you out there, what is he worth at the trade table, assuming that he asks to leave? And point four, when the Dockers' brains trust to sit down, sit down and work out what the hell went wrong this season, they shouldn't need to look too far. Charity begins at home, and so does failure for Fremantle. The Dockers failed to take care of home ground advantage. They had five really good wins on the road, including wins over grand finalist Sydney at the SCG, my flag favourite Melbourne at the MCG, reigning Premier Geelong at GMHBA Stadium, and the comfortable win over the much-improved Hawks at the weekend. But they were 5-7 at Optus Stadium. Two of the wins came over Wooden Spooners West Coast. A third came over the Hawks when they were struggling early in the year, and they also beat Geelong and Essendon, who both missed finals. They lost at home to 17th place North Melbourne in round two. The first thing Justin Longmuir needs to fix next year is taking care of home ground advantage. What do you reckon? You can let us know on the temper at Bedshed text line on 0487 736 736. Or you can give us a call on the open line on 13 12 55. Does Adam Simpson survive? Does Liam Henry leave? Who wins the flag? We've got a big show for you today. We will be talking to Mark Fazio, the CEO of internet and mobile phone company Mate, who are the new principal corporate partners of the Perth Wildcats. We will touch base with Craig O'Donoghue of the West Australian to talk footy, Billy Monaghan, the coach of East Fremantle after the Sharks clinched the minor premiership in the Waffle at the weekend. We'll also talk US Open tennis with Brett Phillips. This is Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA. Oh. <laughs> That's it. I'm not kicking Maddie Road anymore. That was dope. <laughs> you meant to say, all right, let's go. Oh. <laughs> I wasn't listening. Maddie, what year was I named team captain? 2017. Incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so good that Mate Internet and Mobile got us here together to finally meet today. Welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio. Don't forget to shop winter at TKD. And that, of course, was Sam Kirk, captain of the Matildas, and Matt Ryan. And they are both ambassadors for Mate Internet and Mobile. And I'm joined in the studio by Mark Fazio, the co-CEO of Mate Internet and Mobile. And, of course, uh, Mark, welcome, first of all. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And you are the new principal partners of the Perth Wildcats. We are. Yeah, it's a great privilege. And, uh, you know, thanks for uh, allowing us to do this. Uh, uh, the team have uh, given us the opportunity to be involved and we, we can't wait. 
So we're talking outside, and we said, you said you've flown over from Sydney before the weekend, and you're having trouble with the body clock, getting Mate. ready to, or getting used to WA time. I've been up for a very long time today already, but uh, <laughs> getting used to it, but it's worth being here. <laughs> so tell us about Mate Internet and Mobile. Where did you start from? Yeah, the, the, the business started literally in my auntie's backyard. Um, you know, it started with my identical twin brother, David. So there is two of us. We've both got big eyebrows and bald heads and look scary, <laughs> but um, we started the business in my auntie's backyard. Uh, just to give our family a better life. And uh, at the time, I was living overseas and uh, did everything I did on the weekends, and it just took off. People really bought into our tone of voice, what we did, how we approached the market, how we how we spoke to customers and the value that we offered. And, you know, obviously, we're not in my auntie's backyard anymore, but um, we took our auntie with us, being Italian. She cooked us good Italian home food, and uh, so she's at the office now cooking the same Italian food for all our staff. And um, and it's just been a ride, and uh, we're, you know, we're privileged to, to to keep going on this ride and now doing it with the Perth Wildcats as well. So why did you uh, choose to partner up with the Perth Wildcats? We, we, we heavily over-index in Perth for some reason. I think the, I guess our brand, the way we talk to our customers, the value that we have, you know, it seems like the, the Perth community really embrace who we are and what we do. And it's about getting our name out there a little bit more, but also giving back in some way, shape or form. And we know how iconic the, the Wildcats are. And so having been able to get involved in a bit of their history and moving forward, I think it's it's a, it's a great thing, and so hopefully we can deliver more than just being a, a major sponsor. So how do you start a mobile and internet company from a backyard in Western Sydney? You just don't do it. That's what I reckon <laughs> in the future. No. Well, I mean, we, we come from, you know, my, my identical twin brother, David, myself, my cousins that started the business. We come from the telco world, the corporate world. So we had the, I guess, the connections and the and the ideas and I guess the know-how to get it up and running. Um, you know, it was never supposed to be what it is, and it's come a long way. Way. And trust me, there's a lot of headaches. And as you can see, I've got no hair left. But um, uh, it, it just, I, honestly, I think any business can can move forward with determination and motivation. If we've had a real reason to make a better life for our family and friends, like my family migrated, my grandparents migrated uh, from Italy to Australia to give us a better life with nothing but the shirts on their back. And and so this is our way to give back in some way, you know. And so that that motivation drives us to to really make a difference and 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 win at what we do. I don't think anyone in Perth has a concept of just how big Western Sydney is. We yeah. talk about Western Sydney like, you know, the western suburbs of Perth, which yeah. you can drive from one end to the other in about five minutes. Tell us where you came from in Western Sydney. Give us some uh, perspective and context. And, and give us some perspective and context of just how big the western suburbs of Sydney are. Oh, it, it's huge. I mean, like, you can drive from uh, one side of Western Sydney to the other side. So from, call it from you know, uh, Parramatta to Emu Plains and just before the Blue Mountain. It can take you an hour, right? That's how, how far it is. So the region's huge. It's got so much history and with, with, you know, especially with sport and, you know, it's King's territory, sorry, but that's not that's not who we follow. But um, but it's, uh, uh, it's is, there's people just trying to make ends meet there. There's, uh, you know, a lot of uh, people just trying to make a difference and a lot of businesses and startups that aren't getting the, the, the fair share. And hopefully we can represent that in that region that, you know, people from Western Sydney can, can make a big difference as well. And so, you know, I think we're motivating a lot of people in that region, but it's huge, right? There's, there's uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people there. So, well, millions. Millions, yeah, of course, yeah, millions. Yeah, which I think, obviously, being an AFL person, that was their whole thing about moving there because they felt they only had to get 
a small portion of the market to, to have a viable absolutely. team. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Still very much rugby league territory out there, isn't I, I, it? Well, I think so. I mean, I think the Matils did a lot for, for football in general, mm. right? Um, I, I'd see the, I mean, I see the GWS getting getting a fair few people follow. I mean, I think um, the A-League's probably gone down a little bit in just regards to some of the challenges that it's had. But, you know, when, when the Wanderers came into, into market, that probably took the fair share of all the supporters, but definitely still a rugby league territory. So you also have your foot in the water with um, soccer or football, yeah. people like to call it, You with the Central Coast Mariners and Melbourne Victory? Yep, Central Coast Mariners are current A-League champions. Uh, so we've been them uh, with them for five years and we'll, we'll be with them for another couple more. Uh, the Melbourne Victory's women's team that we sponsor. And so this will be our third year with them and we've got more time with them. And I think what a time to be involved in women's, um, women's sport in general, right? And not only that, obviously we uh, represent key people like Sam Kerr, right? She's a local you know, town hero and you know, sporting the Wildcats, one of the reasons was because we've had Sam uh, working with us since 2019 and, you know, what a legend at the moment. Yeah, I was going to say, pretty good ambassador to have for yeah, your brand, yeah, isn't yeah, it, really? Yeah. How did you um, manage to uh, develop your association with Sam? Yeah, I mean, I think it came from our football, you know, our love of football and um, or soccer, uh, if you wanted to call it that, and, and just getting involved with, with sports in general. And we use sport to drive our business in a big way. And, um, you know, we, we uh, Sam came on as a, an ambassador of ours even before she went to Chelsea, right? So that's how long she's been involved with our business for. And, you know, I think the difference with our sponsorship versus some other ones that she does is that we actually give a shit about football. I don't know if I should say that on radio, but I did <laughs> apologize. But um, um, she, we, we care about football and we, you know, we've got a really mutual um, understanding when it comes to that. And so hopefully not only do we offer some value in being a sponsor of mate, and obviously she, off, she offers a lot of value to us, but also we really care about her sport and what she's, what she's doing. Obviously, we're over here. There's still the tyranny of distance that applies, even though we have live television and all those sorts of things and uh, and broadcasts of the games. How big was the Matildas thing and the and the World Cup over east? Well, you couldn't do anything without you know. I went to the city for a couple of meetings. Every window, every you saw you know big buildings with Caitlin Ford and Mary Fowler. Everything like I mean cafes with streamers and all that. You know, I went to I went to all the Matildas games at the. Um, Stadium Australia, um, and it was just having 75,000 people turn up. Uh, it was phenomenal. Like outside, just everybody in pubs and clubs. Uh, I've never seen anything like it, and I've been, I've gone to a lot of sporting events. I've never seen anything like that. Now, um, I believe you're leaving here and you're going out um, to uh, Bendat Stadium, yep. and you're going to uh, catch up with John Rilly, the coach of the Wildcats. That's right. And Danny Mills. Tell us about how you're looking forward to that. Oh, I mean, just seeing the, the brains behind the team, right, and, and, and who's going to make them click this year, and uh, make them be successful. I know the the Wildcats have got you know 35 years of uh, the most the, the team with the most uh, postseason um, yep, in, the uh, finals, in the finals, yeah. right? And so and like we're we're building history and we're, we're with our business and we're working with the Wildcats who have history and we can learn a lot from these guys um, to to build our history as well. And just seeing what they've got in store for the season will be great. And you've got the season launch tomorrow. Yep. Who are you most looking forward to? Which which player would you most? Uh, I would go. I mean, doesn't everybody say Bryce Cotton? Is that what they Probably, say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and I think for me as well. But you know, uh, I'd say that's the case. But um, I, I like every, everybody involved, right? Um, you know, John Riley would be. Uh, I've, I've read up a lot about him and and, and his history. And you know, he was a uh, Razorback back in the day in the NBL, which is a Western Sydney basketball team that yep. that finished up. And so that was the team in the NBL that I followed back in the day, right? And so it'd be good to to reconnect with someone like that. It's amazing that they've been able to build 
build the brand that they've been able to build in um, what started off as a very small section of the the sporting market in in Perth, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, crazy. Um, and when you were developing the business, you were actually based in Singapore. I was, yeah, yeah. So I worked at Microsoft at the time, a big, um, uh, big corporate business, and this is what I did on the weekends. And um, and it just my, my my identical twin brother was here um, and quit his job to to do this full time. And um, yeah, I was, uh, you know, I always thought that I worked hard at a big business, but when it when when you own your own business, you work way harder. I tell you that much. Yeah. What was Singapore like as a city to live in? Uh, sweaty. Hot and sweaty, but but it was really good. Like I mean, it was it was. Uh, if you're an expat, uh, it's it's great. It's there's there's a lot there's a lot about it. Like travel wise, it's great, but and there's nothing like home. How long were you there for? Uh, four years. Did you ever do a uh, an expat's lunch at the brunch at the Fullerton on a Sunday morning? Absolutely, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, yeah I've, done, I've done a couple of them. My yeah, wife yeah. used to go up there and print a bridal magazine, and we used to pop along to the. Oh, Fullerton. there you go. Yeah, yeah. Oh, very, it's a very dangerous place. brunch. Yeah, it can be. There's a lot of bottomless lunches, uh, brunches. Yeah, that's right. What's your point of difference? You think, Mark, in the in uh, the market? For us, we focus on simplicity, value, and and being Aussie based. Those are our three differentiators. We know there's a lot of choice around internet and mobile. But I mean, uh, what we've heard from our customers, just make it simple, um, you know, uh, give us the value that we deserve, but also um, uh, and be Aussie based as well. And that's not to say that people with overseas call centers do the wrong thing. It's just more about Aussies understand exactly what you're buying and how you connect. The MBN is a very convoluted situation, right? You know, the government probably stuffs it up, <laughs> you know, in regards to its, um, uh, its rollout, but we try and make it as simple as possible. And speaking to somebody that knows, uh, that has done what the customer's asking is, is a big difference. And we focus heavily on that. And that's our difference. Now, obviously, you, you're around for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Do you plan to hang around Perth? Are you going to get down south and see some of the regions down there? Uh, unfortunately, this time it's only in Perth. Um, but uh, next time I come, I, I think the first game's on the 29th or 28th of September. So might um, come back there and uh, I come a few days early and see a bit more. Um, I've always wanted to go to the Margaret River, um, so I haven't done that yet. So I'll probably definitely plan it next time. And I'm sure I'll be back a lot more this year with the, with the Wildcats. And you were mentioning, obviously, the struggles with your body clock to adjust, but it always helps to look up and see the blue sky that we have in Perth. I think it's the bluest of blue skies. Not a cloud in the sky. When I, Saturday, it was just purely no clouds in the sky. It was amazing. Never seen that before. And uh, and you can tell the difference in the air. I know people talk about the air, but, you know, being from a, a, a big city like Sydney and uh, and the amount of people there versus coming here, you see the difference. And I know why you guys love it so much. Yeah, no, it's true. There's a, I've, Obviously, I've lived on the East Coast um, quite a bit over my time in journalism, and there is a heaviness in the air mm. in both... Melbourne and Sydney, and Melbourne's just grey yeah. <laughs> the whole time. Um, it's not so much Sydney, but um, that's certainly the air hangs a bit heavy around you in the in those bigger cities. Absolutely, it? absolutely, definitely. Mark, pleasure to have you on the show. Good luck with the season launch. Good luck with the association with the Wildcats, and uh, look forward to talking to you more as the season goes on. Awesome, thanks. Thanks for having me, Mark Fazio. He is the co-CEO of Internet and Mobile Provider Mate. They are the new principal partners of the Perth Wildcats. We're coming to you live from the Toolkit Depot studio. Don't forget to shop winter at TKD. We'll be back with more after the break. Yeah, end of an era, you know, put, puts a full stop on it, really, with, along with Nick, who um, lost probably, you know, not the premiership, but has the same influence on the club that we've we've seen. And, you know, he's... Um, 
you know, it's a sad story, but it's, a, it's also it's a really good story for, for Nick and what he's done, where he's come from. So we can't forget him as well. No one wanted that number one pick halfway through the third, didn't they? So it, I tell you what, you can't do. You, you guys talk about tanking. We don't. And North doesn't. And the, despite what you, the commentary, not you, but the, the, the general commentary is really a disrespectful to footy clubs because we play to win every week. And these guys don't think about the draft or the draft picks or what might happen next year. They don't. So we've got to stop talking about that because it's disrespectful to the players and, and to the coaches and the clubs involved. Because you know, look at North today. They'll take that any day of the week. Um, us last week. So we just got to be careful what we say because it, it, it does challenge your integrity when you question whether we're trying to win or not. West Coast coach Adam Simpson sums up the closing of the careers of Shannon Hearn, Luke Shuey and Nick Natanui. 333 games for Hearn, 248 for Shuey, 213 for Natanui. Absolute champions all. Wonderful contributors to the West Coast Eagles Football Club. Sad that Nick didn't get the flag in 2018. Of course, he was uh, had suffered his second ACL injury that season, but absolutely wonderful, wonderful people. They played strongly for them too for two and a half quarters on the weekend. I think Adam's point about tanking is certainly a valid point this year because clearly both West Coast and North Melbourne didn't care about the number one draft pick. I don't think it's always been the case, though, that clubs haven't cared about the number one draft pick. And there's a system in place that rewards you for finishing last. Um, So well done to West Coast and North Melbourne for playing the season out. But there have been other years where it has looked a little bit different. You can have your say on that on the temper at Bedshed text line on 0487 736 736 or you can give us a call on the open line on 13 12 55. After the break, we will be back talking to the West Australians, Craig O'Donoghue, his take on the wrap-up of the season and the finals going forward. This is Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA. against Jeremy McGovern. Nick Mark by the Texan, 20 metres out, plays on, and he's in front of the Coleman. The Texans in front. It's all to do for Charlie Curdo now. Tex has got his name on the Coleman. Yes, bigger than Texan. And in the end, Charlie Curnow was. He kicked three goals in the last game, of course, Carlton versus GWS, to take the Coleman medal back. But what a performance by Taylor Walker. Nine goals against West Coast. 19 goals in two games against the West Coast Eagles. Good text coming through from Lisa from Allenbrook on the temper at Bedshed text line. She says, Morning, Duff and team. Weedering's contact to the face only warrants a fine. And also, Lisa says, very much overkill on the score reviews over the weekend, in my opinion. There's a lot of time being wasted. Goal umpires are second-guessing themselves now. If it's been called a goal, why can't the ball be taken back to the centre? Thanks for that, Lisa. Good, strong opinion. Well, joining me on the show now is Craig O'Donoghue from the West Australian. We're going to talk all matters WA football. Cod, welcome to the show. How are you, Duff? I'm very well, thank you, mate. Uh, And we've gotten through another AFL home and away season, and I guess we should start with West Coast. What happens now? 
Well, now the board have to make the big decision that they've delayed for most of the year. And it's, a, it's really interesting, I reckon, how the, the chatter around it now, how the momentum around it has changed. If you'd said at the start of the year that they were going to do a Ken Hinckley-type decision and you know, wait until August or wait until September to make a call, and you said, well, they finished on the bottom of the ladder with three wins and a percentage of 53, you'd say the coach can't possibly survive. And if you said, well, they've lost five games by 100 points, you'd say the coach can't possibly survive. But it feels like the momentum has shifted towards Adam Simpson in recent weeks, ever since that derby, ever since we knew that he asked for some clarity because it's been drawn out and now people are starting to push for him to remain. Power brokers are pushing for him, players are pushing for him, fans are pushing for him and I'm starting to get the feeling he might survive. Yeah, I think it's in the balance. I think it's certainly not a cut and dried thing that Adam Simpson goes. You're right, the record says he shouldn't. Um, and the level of performance says he shouldn't. But having said that, he's a premiership coach. He's been a good coach over a long period of time for West Coast. I guess it comes down to whether he can rediscover the energy to take a young group forward. Do you see that in him? And that, that's something that's really difficult for him, I reckon. And the fact that he asked the question of the board, that I need clarity around my future, I reckon that's a sign that even he was doubting himself at that point. Um, so it's not easy to, to, to rebuild. We, he, he's never been in a position where, where he's had to do it. He, as we've said the other week, he was, he's a North Melbourne player, which was always competing at the top most of the time. They'd go down for one year and come back up. So he, he hasn't had, had to really experience those shocking seasons as a player, and he's never had it before now as a coach either. So it takes a lot of energy, takes a lot of hard work, takes a lot of frustration. Um, and, and other than the fact that you've got a contract for two years, I'm not sure it's a job that you would voluntarily take on. Yeah, it's a fascinating one for me, Cotter. It's a it's an enormous job. You wonder whether he gets through to the end of it anyway, and whether if there could be an agreement struck with the board where you know he gets most or even all of his contract, whether um, that might be a better outcome for him. What did you make of them on Saturday against the Crows? They played that, that first two and a half quarters with what's been missing all year. You know, Gaff's chase down tackle of Josh Rosselli. We haven't seen anything like that from, from West Coast where someone's made up 10 metres over the course, you know, what was a 30-metre run by Rosalia, the two bounces. So that's sort of absolute intent and, and effort to, to do everything possible to win every single contest, no matter what. Um, that's what's been missing. Well, we've seen teams kick 15, 16, 17 unanswered goals, like it's been the case this year. So they, they were motivated, uh, and they've been motivated ever since Cincinnati asked for clarity, and they realised, oh, my God, he might actually go. Jeremy McGovern goes back with the flight against the Western Bulldogs last week and almost destroys himself. Um, we saw Josh Wallen go back with the flight really strongly on the weekend. Put his body on the line. So, so Noah Long, the, the tackling was there, the chasing was there, the harassing was there. They weren't just allowing things to happen. And that showed that they were up and about again. And you wonder why hasn't that been there the entire time? And that might be the thing that the board turn around and say, well, why couldn't Adam inspire them to do this earlier on in the year? Why did it take until now for them to see he's under pressure for them to lift? The flip side, of course, is that um, their waffle team with, I think, 12 AFL-listed players got absolutely belted by South Fremantle, who aren't very good either this year. So, yes, we've seen the senior players stand up for Adam, but what about the younger players who are the ones he's predominantly going to be coaching going forward? I was concerned by that. Um, yeah, it wasn't good, was it? It was a horrible stat to look at at the end of that game. Um, yeah, it was, yeah. It was, um, and and that that's a major problem for West Coast because they are going to have a very uh, young list. They are going to have a lot of young players running around the waffle. They need to fix that. 
Craig, can you believe that they had a season like they've had and there hasn't been an independent review called by the club into the club? I mean, I'm not saying Adam Simpson should stay a go. I'm not saying Trevor Nisbet should stay a go. But shouldn't they call someone in to try and get the right answer? Shouldn't the board have done this by now? That would make absolute perfect sense, wouldn't it? They did a review of sorts of their of their injuries and why that was occurring, but they tend to go to the same sorts of people who they know when, when these sorts of things occur rather than going really externally and finding someone who they've had no association with at all. So um, they, they need to get someone to have a look at the club as a whole and say, well, this is where your problems lie and this is where you need to do to fix it. And we've seen it with other clubs who have gone and got people from other states to come in and, and review them or other sports to come in and review them or other businesses to come in and review them. West Coast haven't done that and they're sticking with, the well, we've been uh, a lower team before and got out of it, so we'll follow that process and everything will be okay. Um, that doesn't always happen. You can have a really good draft and you can pick some generational talent like Nick Natanui and Chris Judd or you end up with a draft where you get players who are just normal players who are good players but aren't going to ever be superstars. So um, they can't be just sitting back saying it'll be okay because we've been okay in the past. Craig, breaking news from the AFL. Laura Kane has been appointed the AFL Executive General Manager of Football and Josh Marnie is the new AFL General Manager of Footy Operations. Of course, Laura was the acting AFL Executive General Manager of Football, now continuing in the role on a permanent basis. And Josh Marnie, you'll uh, identify with this, he was the former Executive General Manager of Footy as what you describe as the mighty Essendon Football Club, also played 97 games, (laughs) including the 2004 flag with Port Adelaide. What do you make of those appointments? Uh, it's good they finally appointed somebody. It's the most important thing. Um, they had to get that, those jobs locked away because uh, football has struggled without them. The football department of the AFL is so important. It can't just be a business. You have to actually get that footy part correct. Uh, and we've seen so many issues throughout the year, which is frustrating clubs. So Laura Kane's been in football for a long time, really, really experienced uh, and is highly rated. The clubs have talked up um, her quite highly uh, from the jobs that she has been doing. So it's great for her and Josh Marnie's been around forever in a day, like as a premiership player at Port Adelaide, uh, extremely experienced from an admin point of view across multiple clubs. Um, so it's good that they get into these positions full-time now and, and hopefully can have an impact during the finals, which we don't want to have any of these controversies we've had during the home and away season during the finals. We need the final series to be just streamed through quite simply and make sure that the best team wins and there's no controversies. West Coast are now in possession of the number one draft pick again after a crazy day on Saturday where, well, crazy two weeks really, where they had it, lost it, then got it back again. North Melbourne had it and lost it. What do you need? What incentive do you need if you're West Coast to split that pick? Or do you just take Harley Reid? I reckon you need to know that Harley Reid definitely wants to come first and foremost. If there's any doubts around Harley being a flight risk, which a lot of players are these days, let's face them, especially those who, um, uh, of Harley's generation who were stuck at home in Victoria for a couple of years with, with COVID, they um, would be a bit more of a challenge, I would expect, just because of the lives that they've lived uh, than, than anyone in, in the past. So uh, you need to know he wants to come. Uh, and then if you can get two picks inside the top 10 for him and you think one of them can be Dan Curtin, um, then... You can go for a local. You can then get the second player who's going to be, whether it's a Victorian or, or another West Australian or, or whatever, two players is better than one. 
Anyone can do a knee. Anyone can have concussion issues. Anyone can just not be the player you thought they were going to be. So I think two players for the price of one is always a better scenario. Um, and yes, Harley Reid might end up becoming a Brownway medalist and a, and a superstar, but he can't do it by himself. And we saw at Carlton, they had three number one draft picks in as many years in Cruiser, Mark Murphy and Gibbs, and then brought in Chris Judd, and it still didn't work for them. So uh, you need to have players who you can build an entire group around and hopefully in their similar type of age group. So, um, yeah, no guarantees. If you can get two, I'd go for two. Yeah, I would too, absolutely, particularly, as you mentioned, if one of them is Curtin. It'd be interesting to see if West Coast were to go to North Melbourne. Do you think North Melbourne can possibly get the number three pick as compensation for um, Ben Mackay? I mean, Ben Mackay is not a number three draft pick player, is he? No, but neither was James Frawley. And when he left Melbourne, they got that pick as well. So we all know that the system is designed to make sure that the AFL can help clubs in a way and just look around and say, well, what they need? And it can be the secret herbs and spices, as it's often referred to, is not that good. But if the contract comes out and says that it matches the criteria, well, they can give them whatever they think is necessary at the time. And it's always happened throughout the AFL. I think it's crazy that Buddy Franklin was... You know, I think it was 18th pick in the draft at the time um, when, when he left Hawthorne under free agency and Ben Mackay will be a, a number three pick in the draft. That's part of the system doesn't work. Um, but it will never change because the AFL wants to make sure that the lower clubs are awarded in, in as many ways as possible. And it's good when you think about it that if, you lo- if you're a lower team, you're just losing someone to a team that's going to play finals. You should be recompensed a bit better than um, the teams that just go and steal these guys all the time. But the system makes no sense from a uh, strategic point of view when you look at it and say, well, how did they come to this decision? It makes sense from a strategic point of view. The AFL just makes it up as they go along. And you're right, they help the clubs that they think need help. So um, I'm just looking at the value of the player and thinking, well, Ben Mackay is more like a number 20 pick than a number number three pick in the draft. Hey, um, where does West Coast finish next year? Bottom four again. Uh, is, is the most obvious thing. They've, they've obviously lost Nat Nui, they've lost Huey, and they've lost Hearn straight away. Um, you can't have any real confidence in the guys who've been injured for several years that they are going to ever be the players they were um, or that they'll even get out in the track again. So that's always a concern for them. And they've got a lot of those folks who are um, on the wrong side of 30 with bodies that are broken, unfortunately. And the, when, in terms of the youth coming through, we've seen some, some strong performances spasmodically, but not really consistently, which is what you get from most young players. Uh, so they're going to bring in some more young players next year, and it's going to be a really young-looking team with players hoping they can play NFL football rather than knowing they can play NFL football. And there's a massive difference in your own head when you go out there hoping you can do something. Let's talk about the other team in town, of course, the Fremantle Dockers. Big win on the weekend over Hawthorne, but you'd have to think Liam Henry's leaving, wouldn't you? If you haven't signed a contract by now, then it tends to indicate you're out the door. There's very few guys who um, get to this point of the season and stay. So, yeah, you would think he's gone, which is a shame because he's finally starting to show what he was drafted as. He was in the same draft class as Hayden Young, Caleb Sarong, and they've been... Um, faster in their development to get to the, the players that they are, but they, they've now seen what Liam Henry can do, and his run's been important for them. Um, it's something that they've, they've really lacked throughout um, different points of the season, so uh, that sort of player will definitely be missed. Um, and they invested a lot of him as an academy player and a top 10 pick, so uh, it does look like he's gone, and uh, they now have to find a way to get the most for him. What's he worth at the trade table, Craig? 
Well, he's not worth what they paid for him, that's for sure. Um, so he's not, he's not a top 10 pick. He's not, I don't think he's even a first-round pick now. So he's probably an, a, a mid-20s pick. Um, and that, that's not what you want for a player who you, you pick in the top 10 because he took too long to come on for them um, and was inconsistent for too much of a period. So... You're not going to expect to be able to get what you've initially outlaid for him, unfortunately, for, for Fremantle. So, yeah, I think mid-20s would be something which would probably be fair enough. Yeah, I reckon something in the mid-20s. I suspect if Fremantle gets offered something in the mid-20s for Liam Henry, they'll be very tempted to to take it, although there's, there's always haggling and uh, negotiating on these things. When you look at Frio's season, 5 of 12 at home, that is going to make you miss finals every time, isn't it? Especially when you, if you change that stat and say take out the games against West Coast, it's three of ten of them. Um, so because those West Coast games, let's face it, not everyone was beating West Coast throughout the year. Although that round three derby, um, the Eagles uh, hadn't fallen off the perch as much as what they had by the time it was the end of the season. But yeah, their, their inability to play well at home has cost them uh, significantly. Their inability to play well against teams that made the finals was a real problem. Also, they only won two games against teams that have finished in the top eight. So um, they weren't a team that. Was that you could rely on, that you knew what you were going to get every single week. Uh, and that's ended up with them being a 10-win season and a percentage of 96. So uh, they're, they're mid-table at the moment. That's what they deserve to be after the year they produced. And we, they didn't seem to know what they wanted to be, even from the start of the year. Though. The players are talking about themselves as being a, a top-four team who wanted to challenge for, for a premiership. They had clearly moved a lot of players on uh, to try and bring Luke Jackson in and, and change the, the makeup of their list, which became a lot younger. And that list didn't look like a top-four team. And they've ended up being a team which is, as we said, mid-table and in development mode again, which would be frustrating if you're a Fremantle fan. Would you trade Sean Darcy if you're the Dockers? I'd, I'd certainly entertain the idea of it. Yeah, if I can get because he's never going to be uh, more important from a trade perspective. Uh, Luke Jackson's been really good as a ruckman uh, and uh, didn't look as good as a forward. And what we've seen with Max Gorn and Brody Grundy this year, with Sean Darcy and Luke Jackson this year, is ruckmen expect to be ruckmen. They're really good when they play in the ruck because that's what they are. They're not that good when they go forward. And they expect to be playing 90% ruck. So it's hard to have two in the same team. It always sounds good. Uh, it's like, oh, we can get the most amazing ruck combination of all time. But it means that someone spends half the game being paid a lot of money to not do what they're really, really good at. And I think you're better off trying to have someone in the position that they're really good at and investing that sort of money elsewhere to have someone else in a position that they're really good at. Um, and at the moment, it just doesn't look like any team is going to ever really be able to put two quality ruckmen in the team and have them work the way that they dream in their heads. I think they can work. It's just I, I think I just wonder whether their resources would be better invested elsewhere and whether they would get a better outcome. I think they're different. So they can work together in a way that, say, Grundy and Gorn can't work together. And we saw, let's face it, we saw Jackson and Gorn win a flag together at Melbourne. So, But to me, do you want that much money and that those sort of contracts invested into Ruckman when you could invest them somewhere else? Hey, um, where do they finish next year? They'll be around the, the same area. I would have thought they'll have a better draw, which will help them. So they they won 10 games this year. If they could get 12 games next year, then they're pushing for the eight yet again. I think they're they're at least another year away with the, with the young guys they've got in there. We don't know how Fife will be next year. Tabner keeps breaking down. Michael Walters is as a year older also. So the the guys who are on the wrong side of thirty pushing um, in that direction aren't going to get any better. 
so can they add to their midfield significantly more? Are the kids going to come on really quickly? It's hard to do that. So they might finish bottom of the eight, but I can't see them being the team they expect to be or want to be as part of this strategic plan of being a top four team and challenging for a flag. If you're an All-Australian selector and you're picking the squad, not the team, because I don't think either of them make the team, but would you have Tim Kelly and Caleb Sarong in your initial All-Australian squad? Yeah, I think they're locked for the squad. They've been magnificent all year, the two of them. Uh, Kelly's been the player that West Coast wanted to recruit uh, back when they when he joined the club. As a, these first couple of years, he found it a bit harder to get into the system and understand what West Coast were doing and uh, be the player that he is. But he's been absolutely outstanding and will win their best and fairest with a leg in the air. And, and Caleb Sarong's work all year, he's led that midfield. Uh, when Andrew Brayshaw was struggling with a knee injury during the season, he, he well and truly took over and I'm going to be the man, and he's been superb. Like yourself, I don't think they make the 22. I think the 22 needs to be reserved more for the guys who have helped their teams to win more games, um, because that's the ultimate goal of any midfielder, is to be the player who wins games for his team, becomes a goal-kicking player, or becomes somebody who sets up scores. So I think they'll miss out on the 22, but they're absolutely warranted being in that 40. And where does Jai Amis finish in the rising star picking order, do you think? I think he finishes third. Uh, I, th- I think Sheasel and Ashcroft have still had so much of the footy and done so many damaging things with it that they've been noticed more. Whereas if you, if you purely look at Amos and say, he's kicked 40 goals, you know, my goodness, that's an amazing season for someone of his age. Uh, but he doesn't win a lot of the footy during games, so he's an impact player at the moment rather than someone who, who you notice for the entire game. I think uh, the judges won't have seen enough of him with the ball to push him above the other two guys who have had so much of it. So what he's done has been astonishing uh, for, for a teenager and it ranks as highly as any of the other teenage key forwards who have seen. But I don't think it'll be enough because he's, um, he's, he's quality rather than quantity. And as much as we've enjoyed watching him, I don't think the judges will have seen enough of what they want to be able to push him to the top. And Craig, I can't let you go without asking you. You're our umpire man. You're our tribunal man. Jacob Wiedering, play in finals or not play in finals? History says you get let off because it's finals, doesn't it? So um, I, I don't like any time, and the AFL doesn't like any time when hands are around the eyes, hands are around the face. It's something that they, they've never uh, had anything but a dim look on. So that's going to put him under pressure. But we do find that when it's a 50-50 or even 60-40 decision around this time of year, the players do tend to uh, get a bit of the benefit of the doubt. So uh, if it was a home and away game that he was preparing for, you could almost certainly rule him out. Being finals, as much as I'll say, it's never um, the consideration. It can tend to be the thing that swings it the right way for you. Yeah, I reckon I wouldn't be comfortable in him being suspended for that. I reckon he's, he put his hands on his face carelessly, but as soon as he realises where his hands are, he gets them away. I don't see any gouging or raking motion there. What I would say is if the positions were reversed and it was Toby Green, I wonder what the outcome would be. I suspect Jacob Wietering will play um, finals for Carlton. Cod, always a pleasure to talk to you on the show. Thanks so much for joining us today. Look forward to talking to you a couple of more times, not just on footy, but on basketball in the upcoming weeks. No worries. Have a good day, everyone. Craig O'Donoghue, of course. He's a senior sports writer for the West Australian newspaper. Does a lot of great stuff on footy. Does a lot of great stuff on basketball. What do you think? You can have your say on the temper at Bedshed text line on 0487 736 736. You can call on the open line on 13 12 55. We are, as always, brought to you by Isuzu Utes. 
and you can live your own way in the seven-seater Isuzu MUX. See your Isuzu Ute dealer today. We'll be back after the break. Dropping down a spot in terms of the, the, the draft board is nowhere near as important as the integrity of the way that you play and the great feeling you get of, of having a win and, and for your morale. And that, that's, that's much more important than a, than a draft position. And people say, oh, it's, it's the number one pick. Well, stats say that number one picks are good players. We can't doubt that. But um, if they don't help you win premierships, and that seems to be the, 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 the case over a long, long period of time, then maybe pick two, pick three, pick five. Still going to be good picks and good players. So we'll just take what we can get. Yes, so says Alistair Clarkson, the North Melbourne coach after his team rolled Gold Coast in Hobart at the weekend to forfeit their number one pick. Of course, Alistair Clarkson did coach Hawthorne to four flags with a number one pick, Luke Hodge, in the team. So <laughs> make of that what you will. Um, really good text coming through from Matt from Bell Divers on the temper at Bedshed text line. Stay with me, Duff. Eagles trade pick one and 39 to North for two and three, then trade picks three and 20 and some later picks to Gold Coast for five, 26, 31, 36. Gives the Eagles two top 10 picks, including Curtin, plus three second rounders, allows Gold Coast to get ahead of their bids, so effectively end up getting four high picks instead of three. Bring on silly season. Thank you very much, Matt. We'll be back after the news. a familiar song, the Sharks team song, and of course they clinched the minor premiership on the weekend with a powerful last quarter surge over Subiaco at Leederville Oval, and joining us on the show now is their senior coach, Billy Monaghan. Bill, welcome. Yeah, good morning, Duff. Congratulations, mate, on the minor premiership. I know it's not the uh, the ultimate goal, but uh, it is one of the boxes you have to tick along the way. Oh, it certainly is, and it's been a while for long-suffering East Fremantle fans. Um, you know, you start the season wanting to play finals and then manoeuvre yourself into the top three, and you're lucky enough to get on top and have a week off in our system. That's fantastic. So the boys have you know, played really good footy throughout the year and, and now have earned a week off, and we'll get back and watch a little bit of footy this week and, and see who we take on next week. So what the hell did you say to him at three-quarter time, Bill? Because that was a pretty powerful surge you produced against the Lions in the final term. Oh, we'd probably been on top since um, quarter time. You know, statistically, we were, were dominating most categories. I think we kicked two goals, five in the um, second quarter, two goals, eight in the, in the third quarter. So had we kicked a little straighter in those two quarters, it could have easily been you know, six or seven goals up at uh, three-quarter time. So it was more just keep doing what we're doing. Unfortunately for Subiaco, they lost a player relatively early, um, a, a running player on a warm day. So that probably helped to a degree, although we did lose Chris Walker ourselves just after half time. But, you know, so we got a half with one extra number and, and that certainly helped late in the game. Yeah, it's a big ground too, isn't it, Leadable? Lots of, lots of ground to cover if you're, um, if you're down a man. Yeah, it certainly is. And look, that's just unfortunate and and we can't really well this sounds silly because there's only one player but the, the cost to have a sub you know what I, I think it'd be great if we could have a sub like they do in the AFL but you know that probably adds 
you know, some more to our bottom line um, at waffle level, and we're trying to pinch every penny we have. But you know, it'd be great if we could have a sub. Maybe we should go to 21 in a sub, and um, a 23rd man might be a bit over the top for most. It's an interesting point, and uh, and and quite a valid point too, because you're trying to uh, equalise the competition as much as you can. Hey, Cody Leggett is usually a super boot for you guys. Zero six this week after seven one the previous week. Yeah, and he claims he kicked eight points, but I'm sure either a couple must have been touched on the line. He actually ran into two open goals and missed them and didn't score anything. So <laughs> he might have added the, those two in. Oh, I guess at the end of the day, when you when you win the game and it hasn't cost you the points, or in this case, the, the minor premiership, you sit back and have a bit of a chuckle about it. Um, we've all had bad days, and unfortunately, he was getting frustrated the, the, the more shots he had and the more he missed. Um, his first two or three were probably 25, 30 metres dead out in front, and he's got a unique kicking style for goal, um, a relaxed three or four stepper, and um, he was spraying them everywhere on the weekend, so thankfully, we still got the, the points. Strong game from Josh Schoenfeld. Billy, four goals, 24 disposals. Yeah, he's been... He, he's had some injury injuries issues over the last two or three years actually he started off really well a couple of years ago for us and then he's battled some knee and back issues and has never really got back to that form and he'd been in and out of the side a bit he played about a month of reserves footy um you know he'd been quite frustrated but you know we held him back until we thought he was ready to go and his last two weeks have been fantastic and um you know he's an exceptionally good runner he's a better six-minute 2K runner. Um, you know, so to add him and play that hybrid half-forward role, um, midfield role, was really crucial. And he finished off really well in front of goals, which was really pleasing. You've got a bit of oomph through the middle and forward, haven't you? Like you've got um, Schoenfeld's one, and, and there's a few others you've got through there, big bodies. Um, you, you're a bit of a V8 team around the middle, I reckon, at waffle level. Yeah, look, Jared Jansen, um, at our level, he, he's massive, you know, 193, 194. I know there's some guys playing AFL footy that are probably even taller through the midfield, but he's really powerful. Harry Marsh is a big unit, although a lot of his is explosiveness um, away from the stoppage. And Tom Joyce and, and Jackson McDonald, whilst they're not super um, size in, in, in body shape, they're really strong over the ball. So we you know, we work really hard to get a, a good blend of inside and outside work and our numbers over the years over the year reflect that and, and hopefully that can continue for at least two or three more weeks, whatever we've got left in the season. Tell us a bit about Tom Joyce's season because we saw him running around um, sometimes at training at West Coast last year but uh, had the season completely ruined by, by injury. How's his body and how's his year been? Yeah, he's a fantastic story for us. A talented junior. I saw him play a fair bit of junior footy and come through the Colts at Eastern Mandel. And you know, he's always been around the ball with his with his hands and his ability at stoppages to be an exceptionally good player. And I think in the three or four years between his Colts age and 21 and 22, because I think he's 23 this year, he played, I think it was a total of 19 games of footy in four years. So um, it's just great to have him back on the park. He's he's, he's a ripping kid, um, you know, really knowledgeable about how to play the role, and, and we're seeing it um, consistently at the moment. So that's, that's a great story for us. How old is he now, Bill? 
Oh, he's 23 this year, so I'm not sure when he turned 23, but it was 23 in this... He's a 2000 birthday. So um, I think he's already 23, but he, he could be late in the year. I'm not 100% sure. Will you be at full strength when you play your first final? Uh, well, Milan Murdoch um, played reserves on the weekend, much to his frustration. Um, he'd been out for six weeks and coming off a shoulder, we just thought we'd... You know, the way we'd been going, and it was a big game, um, we'd bring him back through the twos. He he claimed he shouldn't have to, which is rightly so. He's one of our very best players, but I think it was the right thing to do, and he was very good. John O'Marsh has been, you know, initially it was a hamstring injury, and he was probably over that a couple of weeks ago. Um, he's just had a couple of niggles with, with other things, and We've been giving him to Friday afternoon and Saturday morning to, to prove his fitness. But again, we, he's too valuable to, to put out there, not at 100%. So um, he should be back. Our, our dilemma with Jono is whether we want to play him some minutes this week in the reserves. It's, the rules allow us to play you know, whoever we want in the reserves this week. So you know that's going to be part of our week, whether... John Owen Milan get some more minutes or we, we're just back in our training and two more weeks of training for those guys and should see him cherry ripe for the, for the second semi-final. So that's probably our biggest dilemma at the moment. Good luck to the Resi's player that gets to rock up on uh, John O'Marsh, 194 centimetres and runs like a bullet. That'll be, that'll be a lot of fun in the first week of the Waffle Reserves finals for him. Um, Hugh, Hugh Dixon, it must be great to have a bloke who can be your, your support ruckman, win 15 hitouts and still kick three goals. Yeah, and his follow-up work on, on the ground, I think he had five or six tackles and, and he wins clearances and he's really agile and, and good with ball in hand. Um, now we don't have a, a truly recognised ruckman um, and I think Reuben and, and Hugh have really grown into that role. I think they're both only 196 or 197 centimetres tall. So we give away a little bit against the, the Zach Clarks and the Reedies down at Peel and, and Scott Jones when he's playing. But what they've been able to do over four quarters is just keep the pressure up in terms of their running ability. And, and Hughes naturally um, a great forward. I, I think if he spent all of his time forward, he'd probably be our best forward. Um, but he really enjoys running around in the ruck as well. So, again, if those two can continue their form and, and give us some good looks around the ground, that'll go a long way in, in helping us win. He's always been a smart player too, hasn't he? When just watching him play uh, his time, mainly at Peel, obviously, when he was on Fremantle's list and then um, played a few games at, at West Coast last year. He, he knows... He's a footballer as opposed to an athlete, isn't he, really? Yeah, he is. He just naturally um, sees the game well. Some of his you know, in-close handballs and his agility for someone his size is is fantastic. And uh, he, he actually should be a regular AFL footballer and, and sometimes guys take a little longer to mature. And I think he's still only 23 or 24 and he's a Tasmanian. So he might be 25 or 26 when they come into the competition and they might be looking for someone like him to head back home and, and be a part of their inaugural squad. I wouldn't put it past that. Like he, he could easily play AFL footy every week. Yeah, I tend to agree with you there. Uh, are the other teams in the finals a little relieved that the Falcons didn't get there in the end. They came with a rush at the end of the season. Oh, look, I, I think you know, that there's a little bit of talk about that. I'm, I'm not sure 
too many people you know, looking to it that closely. Um, they're, they're a talented side. They finished the season off very well, but you know, at the end of the day, they, they left their run a little bit late. So I think sides will deal with what they've got in front of them, not to worry about sides that didn't make the finals. Yep, fair enough. Um, how valuable will be will the fact that you played finals last year be to you um, when you front up in a couple of weeks' time? Yeah, that's a really interesting one because when you first make finals on a big drought and you don't have a lot of finals experience, you always, you know, and you hear coaches say it all the time, oh, it's, it, it won't be a big factor. Um, but then once you played finals, coaches also say it's a huge factor. Um, we were not only... You know, have we played finals last year, and, and we played a good final, and then probably two middle of the road finals, um, beaten by twenty odd points in both of them. Uh, so that was a. There's some things that we can take out of that, and, and probably over the off season we dealt with them, and, and we've already talked about a couple of those things today about getting the balance between our inside and our outside right. Um, so I think it'll it'll help, and then you throw in that you know Braden Lawler's a two-time. Waffle Premiership player, Harry Marsh is a two-time Premiership player. It's not easy um, to buy that experience and we're lucky to have those two on our books and Fraser Turner and he's a BFL Premiership player. So um, the more experience you have in the big games and you understand how to go about it, it it can't hurt. Um, Is it the difference? Um, That's probably only looking back in hindsight can tell you whether it's the difference when you play a home final, Bill, where will that be? Oh, you'd be happy. We, I think we're playing it at South Fremantle Oval, at Fremantle Oval. So oh, the home a little football. Bit of <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I'm just a little worried we have to go into the, the South Fremantle change rooms. That, that, as an East Fremantle person now, that's a little bit of a challenge for us. Um, <laughs> look, we, we, we originally had booked it for you know, the first three weeks of finals if we got home finals. And potentially we could have had all three, you know, we could have had three home finals. Um, we weren't allowed to use it this week. Um, so that was a little extra motivation to fish on top because had we finished second, um, the answer to your question would be, I had no idea where we would have played this week <laughs> because there's an AFLW game and an AFLW training run there on Saturday. Um and then a, a game on Sunday. So we weren't allowed to use it this weekend. So we averted a little bit of danger there. Billy, always a pleasure to have you on the show. All the best in the final season. It should be a ripper, I reckon. There's not a lot between the first and the fifth ranked teams in the waffle this year. So hopefully there's some great games ahead of us and hopefully the Sharks give a really good account of themselves. Thanks a lot, Duff. Thanks for having me. Billy Monaghan, always a great guest to have on our show. What do you think you can have your say on the temper at Bedshed text line on 0487 736 736? You can call us on the open line on 13 12 55. And we are, as always, brought to you by Isuzu Utes. You can live your own way in the Isuzu D-Max. See your Isuzu Ute dealer today. We'll be back after the break. Yes, we are, as always, brought to you by Isuzu Utes, and you can live your own way in the seven-seater Isuzu MUX or the Isuzu D-Max. See your Isuzu Ute dealer today. We've got some great texts coming through on the temper at Bedshed text line. That number is 0487 736 736 if you want to let us know your thoughts. One from Ian. Morning, guys. I was really surprised after struggling to get a ticket for the Eagles' farewell game. 
taking away a thousand or so Crows fan only fans, only forty five thousand fans turned up, leaving fifteen thousand empty seats. I think there was just over forty seven thousand there on Saturday night. There must be a better way where members don't turn up and don't resell their tickets. Also, why wasn't Nick Natanui in a club polo? Cheers from Ian. I don't know why Nick Natanui wasn't in a club polo, Ian. Perhaps we'll have to find that out for you. But, uh, yes, it's a difficult one when you have 100,000 members in a 60,000-seat stadium. People will buy tickets, and then they will decide whether or not they're going. And while the club would like all of them, I think, to to put their, their tickets back into the pool, of course, some people don't. Some people decide very late not to go and uh, leave those seats empty. And unfortunately, it happens more and more when the club has had a season like it has had this year. We'll be back with some US Open tennis after the news. Welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio. Don't forget to shop winter at TKD. As I mentioned, some good texts coming through on the Temperate Bedshed text line. We'll get through one of them before we talk to Brett Phillips about the upcoming US Open. Big Brian from Bali says, what crazy deals will West Coast receive for pick one? Would it be three first-round picks? Brian, I reckon that if they get three first-round picks, they'll be doing that deal, and they'll be doing that deal in a hurry. We spoke to Kevin Sheehan, the AFL's talent ambassador, a few weeks back, and he thought he wouldn't trade the pick for two, but he would trade it for three. I'd be tempted to trade it for two, provided one of the picks gives me Daniel Curtin, the best of the local boys. Um, I believe West Coast are also very keen on Zane Dersma, so they might think, well, if you can get a pick that gives you either one of Dersma or Curtin, then it might be worth doing. Then something further down the order, if they could get two in the top ten, I think that's certainly worth doing as well. But um, I think there will be contact from other clubs who are interested in getting their hands on Harley Reid. What do you guys think? Give us your thoughts. The Temperate Bedshed text line 0487 736 736 or give us a call on the open line on 13 12 55. Who's going to win the US Open? Let's talk to Brett Phillips after the break and see if we can find out. Coming up next, men's singles. But for now, let's stop a minute and take a look at our beautiful tennis centre backdrop. The beautiful hey. very hot day. Welcome back to Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA at the Toolkit Depot studio out here at Optus Stadium. Don't forget to shop winter at TKD. Well, Brett Phillips is the host of First Serve on SENWA. You can hear that tonight at 6pm. His guest will be Alex Demonor, of course. The US Open is getting underway uh, over in the US um, today. Uh, Brett, welcome to the show. Mark, uh, always uh, yeah, good to join you. We get to the yeah, final major of the year and uh, the US Open can throw up some really fascinating 
uh, storylines because we're, what, about eight or nine months into the tennis season. There's some weary bodies out there. Uh, there's, uh, yeah, the mines are um, spent travelling around the world. You've got to find uh, find a gear. I mean, since the year 2000, on the men's side, we've had 20 different men that have actually progressed to the final. 14 have actually gone on to win the trophy. So, you know, Roger had a little purple patch in the mid-2000s. He won five in a row, but it's not one that Nadal or Djokovic in their great careers have had their best records at. You know, we saw, obviously, the absolute surprise that we may never see again, Mark, with Emma Raducanu, an 18-year-old qualifier two years ago from the clouds, uh, winning the tournament. So it's one of those that is tougher to win. And some players like playing the US Open. Uh, They love the electricity of the tournament, the chaos of New York. Others find it really, really hard just to stay in the zone because there is a a hell of a lot of distractions when you play this tournament. So there's a a number of Aussies in the draw, Brett. I think there's uh, about seven or eight, maybe nine men in the draw and and, uh, five or six women. So how are we going to go? Yeah, we've had an extra Aussie added today, James Duckworth, who gets in as the lucky loser with uh, Katie Shikori having to uh, withdraw, a former US Open uh, runner-up. Look, there's probably more optimism, Mark, than any time I can remember about our men. I mean, they're just having a really good patch. Alex, who will be on the program tonight, I mean, he's on the cusp of the top 10. The rise of Alexi Popperin to 41 in the world in the last couple of weeks. Max Purcell, who's former coach on our program two years ago, Nathan Healy, said could be top 20. He's gone from the 200s to 41 in the world, uh, 43 in the world this year. He's having a great run. Alexander Vukic from Sydney. Hardly known, really, to the, I suppose, average sporting fan out there, but uh, a great rise to 50 in the world. Jordan Thompson's at 51. So all these guys are are more than capable and have got some, I think, belief that they haven't had before that they can actually uh, win some big matches. And the door has opened up in men's tennis, there's no doubt, particularly for a guy like Alex, who, you know, was close, was, you know, taking the top players in some good matches to the the line, not getting over the line. But now he's started to beat some higher calibre players, top 10, top 20 players in the last 12 months. So that's done his confidence the world are good. And, you know, obviously Djokovic still playing at an incredible level. Alcaraz, the defending champion. So it's tough to, you know, go past those two as another final. If we just take our Aussie hat off for the moment, Mark, that's probably the two we want to see play as much as we can in the back end of uh, Djokovic's career. Yeah, and how does this surface suit Alcaraz, do you think, um, Brett? Yeah, well, he loves it. Uh, you know, great memories of last year, and uh, he played some, obviously, brutal matches to win his first major, and, you know, that uh, that match against Yannick Sinner will be in my mind forever that went, what, over five hours uh, into the early hours of the morning in New York. I mean, this guy is just so good, Mark, on any surface, uh, any court, any atmosphere, He's a promoter's tournament's dream. He's just the pin-up uh, player for the ATP Tour for the next 15 years. And he is uh, head and shoulders above all his contemporaries and those who are older than him, who have seen him sail past them. And they're thinking, am I ever going to get my hands on a Grand Slam trophy? I speak of Stefano Tsitsipas and Alexander Zverev and you know, Andre Rublev, Matteo Berrettini, all being good tour players in the last uh, four or five years. And here's young Elkaraz, and then you've got Holger Runa, who's also 20 years of age, and Yannick Sinner, who's 21. These are the three big ones we're talking about on the men's side. Tell us about Alex Dimonor's uh, opponent tonight. 
Well, it's uh, yeah, certainly a very winnable one. Uh, Timothy Skatov of Kazakhstan. Now, I saw him play at the United Cup, which was formerly the ATP Cup, when Kazakhstan landed in Brisbane uh, earlier this year. And he actually is not a bad player. In fact, Kazakhstan are starting to become a little uh, interesting watchers at Tennis Nation. They're pumping a whole lot of money into their junior development building facilities, having a lot more tournaments. So there's a lot more Kazakh players. And there's a few Russian players that do defect uh, to uh, to Kazakhstan for some, um, I suppose, better funding uh, when you're a little bit down the pecking order. Uh, but it's one that the Demon, you know, should get past. He's in that bottom half of the top half of the draw where Medvedev is the best place. He's beaten Medvedev in the last 12 months. Rublev's in that little section, her catch, good player. Um, you know, Hutchinov as well, who missed Wimbledon. Uh, 11th seed, who of course made the semis uh, last year and beat Nick Kyrgios in the quarterfinals. But I look at that little section of the draw, Mark, and I think you know the demon. If he's cherry ripe, he can have a terrific fortnight. And uh, you know there's Alcaraz at the top of uh, that draw, which is you know going to be going to be uh, going to be tough to beat. But uh, let's hope Alex can at least just navigate his way through the first couple of rounds and. Who knows what can happen? Of course, uh, we're guaranteed at least one Aussie in the second round because Max Purcell plays Chris O'Connell, so one of them's going to get through. Yeah. Um, Alexander Vukic has a tough first-round draw. He plays Zverev. Yeah. yeah, that's the toughest on paper. Zverev, look, it's been a long climb back, hasn't it? I mean, that horrific uh, Achilles injury at the French last year where he was taken off in the wheelchair against Rafael Nadal. It took him six months to come back on tour. His first... Probably four or five months this year were really scratchy for a guy that's been three in the world and knocking on the door so often. But the last few months have been more encouraging. He seems like he's got his mojo back again. And he's been, of course, a finalist to Dominic Team back in the COVID year of 2020 in New York. So, yeah, that's the toughest on paper. But in saying that, Vukic is playing at a terrific level. He's got a big serve, Vukic, big forehand on a hard court against a guy who does hit big. I think he's right in that match against Alexander Zverev. What about on the women's side of the draw? How are we faring there, do you think, Brett? Yeah, it's a little thinner, no doubt. We have to be honest about that. The stocks in Australian women's tennis are, um, are yeah, a tricky stage where, you know, there's a lot going on behind the scenes to try and develop the next generation, but... You know, right now, we're struggling for players inside the top 100. So, look, Daria Seville, we know, is going to compete. She's coming off that knee injury. So, she's not long into her comeback. There's no great, probably, expectation right now. Isla Tomjanovic. I mean, we haven't seen Isla play at a major since this time last year when she beat Serena Williams and finished off Serena's career. So, Isla will be an interesting watch. She's had no leading tournament so she comes in playing her first Grand Slam of the year, her first match of the year. Storm Hunter, you know, WA girl, of course. I love Stormy. I think she's had a terrific last 12 months in doubles, top five. She should be a top 100 singles player. She's got the game, the lefty. So this is where you've got to make your mark. She's been given the reciprocal wild card. And uh, Kim Beryl gets in as the lucky loser. And Olivia Gadecki was the one Aussie that qualified uh, from the last uh, few days, tough the qualifying on the outside courts. And she's actually got a bit of promise, the Gold Coaster, who was uh, mentored a fair bit by Ash Barty. So you're hoping Olivia can uh, yeah, put her best foot forward next week. Tip for the men's and tip for the women's. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> Djokovic, I think, is going to have a lot driving him. Um to win this 24th major. We know that Serena couldn't get to 24, had a lot of chances to equal Margaret Court, couldn't get there. Djokovic, he is 
so determined, Mark, to win more trophies and really set himself well clear of Nadal and Federer uh, as the undisputed greatest of all time. Uh, on the women's side, uh, look, Iga Sviontek, she's the world number one. She's the defending champion. Um, she hasn't had all, her all, all her own way this year. We talk about Sabalenka and Rybakina. I feel like an American might have their best run here. And Jessica Bagula has been knocking on the door. She's the perennial quarterfinalist. She's been top three. Her career is quite extraordinary. We know the story of the, the billionaire parents owning uh, sporting franchises over there in the US. But I'm going to go a little smoky because I could just say the obvious in Sviantec, but a Bagula or a, a Coco Goff, who are a great doubles team, I think could have a really deep run here and, and potentially make a final, maybe even win it. Brett, thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to hearing more of your updates as the tournament progresses. Appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. Brett Phillips, of course, he is the host of the First Serve on SEN, and he comes to you thanks to the Australasian Academy of Tennis Coaches and Stan Sports. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio out here at Optus Stadium. Uh, Don't forget to shop winter at TKD. And we are, as always, brought to you by Isuzu Ute. You can live your own way in the seven-seater Isuzu MUX. See your Isuzu Ute dealer today. Lots of good texts come through today on the temper at Bedshed text line. Hey, you know, let's get through a couple of them before the end of the show. Sure thing. Uh, just first, Duff, uh, we have been waiting on you know, news that the you know, most of the teams have finished up before the AFL season. Are we hearing anything around coaches, uh, assistant coaches, any movements at the moment? Yeah, we got a text through suggesting that there had been movement at West Coast with their assistant coaches. I do know that Daniel Pratt will leave at the end of the season. I believe yep. he and uh, the club agreed to part company a week or so ago. I think Luke Webster is out of contract. I don't know where he sits. Mm. We did hear about a week or so ago that there would be five significant changes within the football department and obviously one of those will be strength and conditioning. You would think one of those is Daniel Pratt, so maybe a few more to come yet. Uh, Noddy joins us on the text line. Mark Webb has left the dogs to return to Perth after two seasons looking after midfield and stoppages. Do you know if either West Coast or Fremantle are looking to appoint him? I don't, but I do know there's going to be vacancies at West Coast. There's going to be at least one with Daniel Pratt, uh, possibly and probably more at West Coast. Uh, I'm not sure whether there's any openings at Fremantle, but obviously wife Lisa does mm. work there as the AFLW coach. Hi, Duff. Interested in your view, realistically, how many list changes West Coast Eagles will make? Lots of talk of cutting deep, but what is realistic? So I'm told that they will be looking at 8 to 10. I'd be inclined to thin that out a little bit and take it back to about 7. You've got the three uh, retirees, obviously, and then you look at um, three or four others. I think they've got some mature age players that they picked up from the waffle that have probably given it their best shot, and I'm talking about people like Greg Clark, um, and Connor West. So you add them in and then maybe a couple right off the bottom. Particularly, like, we don't know whether Adam Simpson keeps his job or not. That appears to be very much hanging in the balance at the moment. Mm. But if there is a new coach, I'd be inclined to give a, a few of the players a marginal enough, as in close enough to making it, I'd be inclined to give them a crack under a new coach mm. with a different attitude, maybe a different playing style, and, and see how you went. And I think there's a few in that basket. Mm. Uh, just quickly, thoughts on the Saints and Giants final being at the MCG over Marvel? I'd like to see that one at Marvel. Yeah. I, I think they'd get forty-five to 50,000 there. They'd be packed out. Yeah. It'd be a great atmosphere. I think they should have played it there. Yeah. I, I can't see them getting too many, too many more than that. I wouldn't, think, wouldn't have thought. No. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Thanks, Hita. Thanks, Justin, out there in the production room. We'll be back again tomorrow with another edition of Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA. Hope you can join us then.